Micah chapter 6 today for our question. Micah chapter 6. I remember back in high school and especially in college days having to work on term paper assignments. That was not a joy in my life. I didn't look forward to having to do term papers. But usually, especially with the college professors, they would give you the date, okay, that it has to be turned in by this date, the rough draft has to be turned in by this date, and so on, and you know, that rough draft would be well ahead of the final draft date, but that gave the teacher time to bleed all over your paper and tell you how to improve it, okay? Some of you here in this service will remember and know who Dan Donaldson is. Dan was my advanced comp professor at St. Louis Christian College. If you know Dan very well, he's a perfectionist. He knew how to use red ink on a paper, all right? But if you got a good grade in a Dan Donaldson class, you knew that you earned it, all right? Because he, he didn't give out things very easily, okay? But nevertheless, there were times when I thought I'd done a pretty good job, and you know that, yeah, okay, I'm sure that they'll find a few corrections for me to make. And then my rough draft would come back all roughed up. I mean, they bled all over it. And sometimes the teacher's comments didn't really say anything to help. They, they might put a big deal on it, like for a whole paragraph or two, and say something like, Rewrite this part. Well, that wasn't real helpful. I didn't know what they were looking for. And other times they'd write something on here that would say, uh, what are you trying to say? Well, I was trying to say exactly what I said. Well, I didn't understand why they didn't understand what I was trying to say. And so you began to think, okay, what do they expect? What do they want from me? What are their expectations? What are the requirements here? This, this is a good paper. What are they looking for? And I think as people, it's quite natural for us to desire clear expectations in areas like these, but it's not only on a term paper that we want this, but we want it on the job. What does the boss expect? What does my employer expect? We want it on the sports field. What does the coach expect? We want it in the classroom. We want it in relationships. These are all places we want to know what we're supposed to do and how we can improve if we don't meet the expectations set for us. But you know, it's hard to measure up to expectations that we're completely ignorant of, right? How do you... How do you how do you please someone when you don't know what, what's expected of you? But praise God, he's different. God is different from those whose expectations are unclear or altogether absent. Because as we go to the Old Testament book of Micah today, we're going to see what God requires of us. In Micah chapter 6, Micah is one of the so-called minor prophets not called minor because they're less important, but simply because the books are smaller. They didn't write as much. Micah was a country preacher from the south, from Morasheth, about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. 
At the time that he walked this earth, the nation of Israel was divided. Because after the reign of Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam took charge of the southern kingdom of Judah because the kingdom split, because Rehoboam gave a bad answer to the people. And Jeroboam took over the ten northern tribes, which was known as the nation of Israel. Now, Micah's book, most of it applies to Judah, but some of it relates to Israel, the northern part as well, because judgment was on the horizon for both parts of the nation. It would come sooner for the northern ten tribes because the Assyrian Empire came and conquered them in 722 B.C. and carried them away into captivity. And then over a hundred years later, Judah would be captured by the Babylonians. In fact, if you read Micah chapter 4, verse 10, it says, uh, Rive and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth, for now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you'll be rescued. So Micah predicts that the nation of Judah would go into captivity to Babylon, and of course, that happened. Verse 1 of chapter 1 here in Micah dates this prophecy to the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings. The book is composed of three parts or three oracles that the prophet gives the message of God. He talks about God's judgment against the disobedient nation. He makes clear that their only hope is in God if they will repent. But in the text that we're considering today, Micah shows people how they can please God. We want to please God, right? And his requirements are very clear. So what does God expect from us? What are, what are his requirements? What are his expectations? He gives them to us, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And here's the question. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, if you're a student of the Bible, those words probably sound familiar to you. Maybe you've forgotten where they were found, but Micah 6.8 is a good memory verse for everybody. What does God want from me? Number one, he wants me to ask the right question. Watch me ask the right question. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Now, if you read the book of Micah prior to this, he begins this third and final oracle of the book. He begins by telling the people to listen because God has an indictment against them. In fact, back up in verse 2 of this same chapter, Chapter 6, he says, listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people, even with Israel, he'll dispute. Boy, did the Lord ever have an indictment against them. He was bringing a case against them because of the sin of his people. And even though he had rescued them from bondage in Egypt, 
Even though he had saved them from Balak, the king of Moab, even though he had led them into the land of promise and they had conquered the promised land, even though he had been faithful to them, they had turned his, their back on him. They had forgotten his saving acts and they had neglected their responsibility to him. People, we are accountable to God. Amen? Yeah, we're accountable to him. The people of the world don't want to hear that. And they don't want to believe that. They don't want to be held accountable to anybody. They want to live life on their own terms, their own way, do what they want, when they want, and not be held accountable for anything they do. That's the world, right? But not so with Christians. Fact is, every person, Christian or not, is accountable to God. And when Jesus returns, every knee will bow before him, Christian or not. Some will bow to their condemnation. Others will bow in their salvation. But we're accountable to God. We have to answer to him. He's our creator. He's our lawgiver. He had delivered Israel. He had kept his promises to her. And if we are his children, we've also known his salvation and faithfulness. And implicit in the questions here, verse 6 and 7, is this idea that we need to fulfill some obligation to God, that we have a responsibility to him. And so it's right to ask the question of how we should approach God. What shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? What, what do I bring with me? How do I do that? Well, it's right to concern ourselves with what he wants from us. But do we really care? Do you care what God requires of you? Are you concerned with this God that you're accountable to? Or would you rather forget the whole question and not even think about it? Maybe you'd rather not think of what God wants from you. This isn't necessarily a comfortable question, is it? But it's a question we need to ask because the reality is that we have to answer to God and we need to know what he wants from us. So what does he want from us? Well, he wants us to ask the right question. With what shall I come before the Lord with? But he also wants me to avoid the wrong answer. You see, we not only ask the right question, we've got to avoid the wrong answers. We can't be content with just any answer. But to embrace the truth, we have to reject that which is false. We have to reject the lie. And the suggested answers that Micah gives us here in verse 7 of what God requires may reveal that the question was initially asked by those with less than sincere motives. And yet we can still learn from what they said. Notice the progression. Does God want burnt offerings? Does God want yearling calves? Will God be happy if I sacrifice thousands of rams? Will God be satisfied if I give him 10,000 rivers of oil? Will God get off my back if I give him my firstborn child, the fruit of my body? And so these tentative answers start with things that God once required of his people. Did God ask his people for sacrifices? Yes, he did. 
Meal offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, burnt offerings, guilt offerings, sin offerings. I mean, you go through the book of Leviticus like we did on Sunday night a while back, and you learn about all those things. God did ask for sacrifices, which included the death of animals and the mixture of oil with wheat and, and, and grain and other things that was offered. But, but then Micah gives this horrifying prospect. Does God want my firstborn? Does he? Yes, he does. Exodus 34, 19 and 20 says that every firstborn from the womb belonged to God. But they were to be redeemed by a set price that God had determined. But wait. The time came when the Israelites were seduced by the Canaanite practice of killing a child to appease their gods. And God accuses them of this in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35, for making their children pass through the fire to Molech. Molech was a pagan god that had the body of a, of a man with the head of a cow with outstretched arms. It was hollow in the inside, and they made it into a furnace, and they would, they would heat this idol up until its outstretched hands and arms would be just red hot. And these pagans would take their firstborn children and lay them on the hands of this pagan idol and sacrifice them alive to that God. They would beat the drums to drown out the cries of the infants. Does God want my firstborn child that way? No. That was something God never commanded. And he made sure they knew that he burned with anger against a practice like that. No, God had set a price for the redemption of their firstborn. So the problem with these tentative answers to the question of what God wants from us, what he expects from us, is I think there's a question behind the question. I think with these people living at the time of Micah, their, their question was, what can I do to appease God and get him off my back? And still continue to live the way I want to live. I want to live life on my terms. I want to call the shots. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So what do I have to do to get God off my back so I can live that way? What do I need to bring to him? People with insincere motives. When King Saul was told to destroy all the Amalekites and their animals in 1 Samuel 15, he didn't obey the command of God. Spared the best of the animals. But he thought that he could pacify God by offering sacrifices. And Samuel told him, wrong answer. In fact, what did Samuel tell him? Samuel told him to obey is better than sacrifice. And Jesus in the New Testament, in dealing with the religious leaders of his time, said, you're tithing, you're mint, you're dill, you're cumin, all these little tiny seeds out of their garden, they would take all those little tiny seeds and count out a tenth. They would tie those things. And Jesus said, but you're neglecting the things that really matter, the weightier matters, justice and love and mercy. He said, you should have done them all, but they neglected the most important things. They too had the wrong answer. 
Sacrifice is no substitute for obedience or repentance. And I think this problem still continues today. There are some people, I think, that maybe they acquire something, maybe some money or wealth, maybe by some questionable means, and then they try to clean it up by, by giving all of it or a portion of it to, to charity, to the poor, to a school, maybe even to the church. People give of their time and money. They, they can outwardly do what God has commanded, but listen, we've got to seek God on His terms, not on ours. He's looking for more than outward conformity. He's, he's not looking for a tip of the hat while we go right on down the road and, and travel a path of apathy and neglect or even wickedness. Like those Jesus talked about in Matthew 15, 8, that honored him with their lips, but whose heart was far from him. You trying to please God like that? Trying to please him with your lips or with some kind of outward action when your heart is far from me? Is there a duty that you're performing or a sacrifice you're making to try to wash away your sin? You think you can balance out a secret life of disobedience to God by coming to church every Sunday or by giving an offering to the church? Have, have you sought to craft your own answer and neglect what God has said? God's not looking for you and me to make up an answer to the question of what he wants from us. Because, you see, the answer is not in our imagination. The answer is in the Word of God. God has revealed to us the right answer to the question of what He wants from us. And what does He want? Well, He wants me to act on the right answer, which is He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the right answer. It's been revealed to us. God has declared it. He's told us. He, he had told Israel long ago when he led him out of Egypt. He makes it abundantly clear through the 66 books of the Bible where he has given us everything that we need to know to live a life of godliness. So what has he told us is the good we need to do? Verse 8, three things. Do justice. Love, kindness, walk humbly with your God. The right answer to the right question of what God wants from us is that God wants us to reflect His character. We're image bearers. And God expects us to reflect His character to the world around us. What does it mean to do justice? Well, one of the common themes in the book of Micah is the injustice in the nation. Chapter 2, verse 2 tells us they oppressed the poor. Their hatred of good and their love of evil was demonstrated as they just butchered and sucked the life out of people. In chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, You who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, and who eat the flesh of my people... Strip off their skin from them, break their bones, chop them up as for the pot and his meat and the kittle. You talk about injustice going on among the people. Wow. They perverted justice. They took bribes. They cheated people in business transactions. It seemed like all the upright and trustworthy people had disappeared. 
And these practitioners of injustice would have been quite content to come and offer some token sacrifice to God to get God off their back so they could go right back to their wickedness. But God, he wanted more from them. And he wants more from us than lip service. He wants a life that is serious about reflecting his character. God wants us to do justice. He wants us to act in righteousness, conforming to his standard, showing him to be the most important consideration of our hearts. So are there areas of your life that are unjust? Are there? Do you keep your promises? Are you fulfilling your commitments to to your parents or your spouse or your children or your employer or your employees or your friends? Are you honoring God in your behavior as a citizen of this earthly government? Are you honest on your income taxes? Do, Do you seek to pay your bills on time? Are you above board in your business practices? Are you a fair and trustworthy person in the things you do? What does God want from us? He wants us to do justice. He also wants us to love kindness. And the word for kindness here in this verse has been variously translated as loving kindness, loyalty, mercy, goodness, favor, pity. It's difficult in English to convey precisely the full impact of this word. It's a a rich expression of the character of God, particularly his mercy and love. But the people of Micah's day, they were ignoring the idea of loving kindness. They were vicious. They were cruel. They cared only about themselves, not about others. And it's far too easy for us to become an illustration of those that do not love kindness. Because it's easier to hold a grudge than it is to forgive, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. It's easier to hold a grudge than to forgive. It's easier to ignore a need that threatens to inconvenience us than it is for us to move out and meet that need. It's easier for us to stay within our comfort zones rather than to make ourselves vulnerable and uncomfortable by reaching out to someone that we could help. It's easier to think about ourselves and not care about others. And we should love people and use things to bring about God's glory, but too often times we love things and we use people. So how are you doing in this area? Do you genuinely love kindness? Is that in your heart? Does does that love overflow into your life? Is it evident to God by what you do with your time and how you relate to others? Do, Do you really care about others besides yourself? Do you help others? And if you do help others, do you do it? simply to show the kindness of God, or are you doing it to get recognition of some sort or to gain some kind of an advantage? What does God want from us? He wants us to love kindness. And finally, God wants us to walk humbly with our God. Walk humbly with our God. The people in Micah's days were not walking humbly. If you read chapter 2, verse 3, it tells us they were walking haughtily, which means proudly. They were a proud people. They thought very highly of themselves. They worshiped their desires and their opinions above God. 
But God hates human pride. Human pride gives us this skewed perspective. It doesn't portray reality accurately. Take King Uzziah, for instance, the father of Jotham. King Uzziah became proud as a result of the military success that God had blessed him with. He became so puffed up that he intruded into the place of the priest to go into the temple to offer incense before the Lord there, which was something that he was not authorized to do. But the priest couldn't hold him back, and he barged into the sanctuary to offer the incense. And what did God do to him? Struck him with leprosy on the spot. You read about it in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. Sometime later, he died in disgrace. God hates pride. He wants us to walk humbly with him. And so to walk humbly with him means that we must recognize who he is and who we are. He is God. I'm not. And you're not either. Recognize who he is. He's God. He's the one who's holy, holy, holy. He is our creator. In him alone is salvation. Every good gift, possession, and ability that we have comes from his hand. We are his creation. We exist to bring glory to him. And as sinners, we have to confess we're unworthy to experience his mercy. What does our rebellion and sin deserve from him? Condemnation. But to walk humbly with God, we must have a, this posture of submission and thankfulness. We must seek his agenda, not try to use him to accomplish ours. We need to care about what he cares about, what he says. Make a serious effort to listen. We need to do what he calls us to do in a way that will draw attention, not to ourselves, but to him. We must be grateful for what he's done for us and be content in him. So are you walking humbly with your God? Do you acknowledge his position? He's God. And your position? You're not. Do you see anything admirable in your life as a blessing from him? Or do you see it as something of your own doing? Are you regularly, daily reading God's word? Not just going through the motions of reading it so you can mark it off a checklist, but are you actually listening to what God has to say? Are you willing to change what he asks you to change? Are you pouring out your heart to him in prayer? Do you praise him for his character and for his works? Do you confess your sin in a specific way and call it what it is, a sin? Do you thank him for his blessings in Christ? Do you bring your anxieties and your worries to him and leave them with him? Or are you a people pleaser? Are you more concerned about what others think than what God thinks and what God wants? Do you overload your schedule and leave no time for God? Do you say yes to everyone and everything and give God the leftovers? Are you too busy to cultivate your relationship with God and give attention to what's truly important? Are you walking humbly with your God? We need to get our eyes on God and care about what he wants. We need to reflect the fact he's supreme and yet he still desires fellowship with us. He wants us to walk humbly with him. God's requirements look like a pretty tall order to fill, don't they? Do justice, 
love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And I think if we're all honest, we have to admit we don't measure up to what God wants. I know I don't. I have failed in every one of those areas. I got a sneaking suspicion you have too. I haven't met God's requirements. And yet God requires these things. So what's a sinner like you and me supposed to do? Where is there hope for us? Our hope is in the ruler that Micah points to in chapter 5 verse 2. In chapter 5 verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you in Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Who's Micah pointing to? Jesus. Absolutely. Who was born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth. God the Father gave up his one and only Son for us. The eternal Son of God humbled himself, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. He did justice. He loved kindness. He walked humbly with his God in submission and constant dependence upon his Father, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. He perfectly accomplished the requirements that you and I have failed to live up to. And then he died on the cross as a substitute, as a sacrifice for sinners, bearing the punishment that you and I deserve for failing to meet God's requirements, for having rejected his rule over us. He rose in victory from the dead. He offers pardon and forgiveness to us if we repent of our sins and obey the gospel, if we put our confidence in him and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And if we do that, if we obey the gospel... Then when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of Christ and he imputes or credits to our our account the righteousness of Christ and looks at us and declares us not guilty, justified. So that even though I haven't met those requirements, Jesus did. And when I accept him as Lord and Savior, Christ, God credits to my account the righteousness and the holiness and of what Jesus did so that I can be saved. God will pardon your iniquity and your injustice. He will forgive your sin and show you kindness and walk with you if you will humble yourself before him and trust him. But are you trying to get to God on your own terms? Do you think he's going to let you mock him by trying to make a new path when he's already made the one and only way to salvation through the cross? We need to forsake our own efforts and trust in what Jesus has done. You're living only for yourself. Would you rather do injustice? Do you prefer to despise kindness? Are you content to walk with a swagger in life proudly and Display the stench of your pride to God and to the world. God calls you to repent and trust in Jesus. Are you disheartened because, disheartened because you fail to meet God's requirements? Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your own efforts and look to Jesus. God made man in his image to reflect his character, and even though that image has been distorted and marred by sin, it's being restored for those that are trusting in Jesus. 
who's the perfect image of God. And so the life of a Christian should be marked by increasing conformity to God's requirements. Are you trusting in Jesus? If so, your life should continually be marked by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. These are the things that God wants from us. He has told us what he wants. Now let's do them. And God's people said, you don't sound convinced. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision this morning. I think it's obvious we all have areas to improve on in what God expects from us. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Those three things. If you're a Christian, you ought to be displaying those more and more. Let's stand. Let's sing.